Well, if Kiwi metal detectorist Andrew Harding had an old coin for every time he's been asked about the British TV show The Detectorists, he'd be a wealthy man. Hi. Hello. So you in the field earlier, sorry to interrupt, but are you metal detectors? No, my dear. This is a metal detector. We are metal detectorists. Oh, right, sorry. Not a problem at all. I'm Sophie. Pleased to meet you, Sophie. I'm Lance, and uh, this is Andy. Andy. I'm a student, history student. They'll be interesting to know what kind of things you guys find, local history. Oh, wise choice, Sophie. What have you got there, Andrew? Um, bits and pieces. Uh, Victorian penny, and then Battle of Britain, that's nice. Worth a few quid on the interweb. Won't do it, mate. Idiot. Why not? I don't sell my finds. I don't agree with it. Andy here's uh, studying for an archaeology degree. You've been doing it for how long is it, mate? Long time, but I'll get there. And when I'm a qualified archaeologist, that's when I get to see the good stuff. Bone. Bits of pot. Swap his detector for a pallet knife and spend the rest of his life scraping the dirt off dirt. No, thank you. Show me to the non-ferrous metals, mate. I just love that series. And there's a lot to love about metal detecting, or dirt fishing as it's also called. It can even turn a profit if you know where to look and you're prepared to part with your finds. A warning, though, it can become an obsession. I came across Wellingtonian, Wellingtonian Andrew Harding on a Facebook page called Metal Detecting New Zealand Aotearoa, and it's captivating. Members post photos of mysterious finds to ask for ideas on what they might be. Andrew told me he's not quite sure what got him started. Uh, you know, there was a few Australian gold prospecting programs on TV and that I'd seen in the past. And uh, I'm, a, I'm a big fisherman, a fly fisherman, and it's always that surprise and delight about what you're going to catch or what you're going to find. Um, and, and a lot of people like in metal detecting to fishing, and it's called dirt fishing <laughs> by some people. So, uh, sort of went naturally with exploration and, um, and and sort of stemmed from there for about five or six years ago now. There's some out. There's some outlay, Andrew. I mean, is it a hobby that does pay for itself? Oh, absolutely. Look, it's paid for itself just so many times over for me. Uh, you know, I'm talking several thousands of dollars, tens of thousands of dollars, even over the course of since it's been been happening. And and coins and relics you find, and there's value in everything you find. One man's trash is another man's treasure, type thing. Uh, silver coins, uh, you know, they're worth a lot of money just to melt value alone. Uh, and then there's the rings as well, gold rings that you, you pull out on occasion and bracelets and what have you. So it definitely pays for itself. And there's there's not many hobbies that do that. You and I are both fans of watching, uh, there's quite a few series really coming out of the UK in particular uh, about detectorists there. But also in the UK, they have very strict rules in terms of ownership of things pulled out of the ground. Now, of course, over there, we're talking about Roman hordes and antiquities, so it's a little bit different to what we might find here. But what are the rules for people coming into this? What are the rules in terms of ownership? Is it finders keepers? It's a, it's a tricky one here because, like I say, there's a lot more history over there, um, and we do have those protocols in place here, especially regarding detecting on historical sites, which are typically over 100 years old, which is a no-go area. You stay away from historic sites completely, uh, you know, marry past sites and historic churches and schools are also a no-go. Um, apart from that, it's, you know, what you can pull from the ground in public areas and beaches, it's yours at the end of the day, unless it's something of significant value, which you'll hand it to the police and after a set period of time, you usually get it back from the police as well. 
Yeah, that's, that's good to hear you talking about that historic sites are no go because I was just reading up, I think it was just last year, that it was thought that metal detectorists who were interested in military history were behind holes dug at a PAR site in North Taranaki. I mean, does that make your blood boil? Yes, no, it makes me furious. And I think it's more a fact that it's a, in New Zealand, it's a fairly new hobby for a lot of people. And, and most people think you can just get a metal detector and a, and a small shovel and just go for it. And you certainly can't. Um, even when you do detect in, in public sites and you know council reserves and stuff like that, different councils have different regulations, but you leave no trace whatsoever. You dig what's called a plug, which is a very small um, U-shaped a piece of dirt and, and you pat it down so no one ever knows you were there basically and and that is key uh, but unfortunately I think it's just a lot of people coming into the hobby just just don't realize that the rules regulations and how you just leave leave footprints only and that's it. I know that you are a great believer in research research is key you told me uh, and that must in- involve not only looking for suitable sites but also getting the necessary permissions. Yes, correct. I, I tend to um, use a website called RetroLens, which is basically uh, 1930s Google Earth satellite imagery. And it's an incredible detail as well. It's a fantastic website. And you can overlay maps from RetroLens onto uh, your phone via Google Earth and, and, and see where you are in real time uh, as a GPS dot, uh, you know, stepping back 100 odd years ago. It's fascinating. And, you know, the research, it's a huge part of it because to be successful, you have to go to areas that were traditionally people used to congregate in the early 1900s, like reserves and um, old schools and things like that that are now farmers' fields. And certainly the permission side of it comes into it. And uh, most people are really, really interested in detecting and and quite freely grant access. And, and more than one occasion, I've had people just tag along as well just to see you know, how it's done and what you find. And, and people generally are really receiving about it. Uh, and also the fact that you're pulling just screeds trash from the ground as well. Um, they really appreciate that. So you take the trash away with you? Yes, yep, everything goes away um, unless it's too big to carry, you know, for example, in, in parks and, you know, around the sides of, you know, through the bush on the sides of sports field and stuff. It's just absolute littered with trash, uh, you know, on a typical uh, day detecting sort of over a three or four hour period, you know, you'll probably take away about sort of three or four kilos of, of junk bottles and cans and, um, you know, screws and lead head nails. And it's amazing how much junk is in the ground. It's, it's quite sad to see. I'm going to talk about the most common finds in a moment, and I imagine coins are part of that. But what about for you personally, some of your best finds so far? Silver coins are pretty small. And silver coins really spin my wheels. Um, you know, value-wise, they have value, but uh, it's it's not a huge amount. Just the design of the coins are just beautiful. And, and obviously, the detectorist loves finding jewellery rings. And I've probably found, you know, around sort of 30 or 40 gold rings now since I've been doing it. Um, and certainly the best find was a very, very old 22-carat uh, bracelet that weighed 48 grams uh, you know, in melt value alone, you're talking about $4,000 in, in gold right there. So that, that that was the best find that I've actually had. But yeah, the, the rings and the coins do it for me. But it, you find some really odd stuff as well. Like um, just a couple of days ago, I found a light bulb holder from a early 1900s Rolls Royce. 
you can't comprehend what's out there. And it's just absolutely fascinating to, to find these things and, and pull them out of the ground and share them with others. Now, I think I saw a photograph of that on the Facebook page where I came across you. And, and, I, and I saw other images of other objects as well um, over the last few years. You know, you put a photograph up there if you're not too sure and you ask the other detectorists in the group, do you have any idea what this is? I, I really, I mean, the answers were quite intriguing. Sometimes they are as one and sometimes they're quite different. It's a, it's a fascinating community because a lot of the things you find, I've got no idea what they are. Like the light bulb holder I thought was a mushroom holder uh, and someone else thought it was a, a mould for making Christmas baubles. Um, there's a lot of historians that frequent the metal detecting groups, not detectorists themselves, but solely just for the interest fact of finding these amazing things. And, and some of the things I've found over the years have been just incredible, just like really, really bizarre um, medals and tokens from the early 1900s. And even I found my oldest coin a few months ago here in Wellington, which was back to 1797 and, you know, any sort of European settlement in Wellington, which was a fascinating find. You mentioned before you might have found something like 30 rings, Andrew, and that's a real find. But do you ever try and locate, if there are any hints, with an inscription? Do you ever try and find the people? Because I was looking at some of the images and I think I might have seen a little ring with the name Amanda on there and I, I've just felt a bit sad. It is really sad, and I'll certainly I, I usually reach out uh, if it's if it's a fairly fresh find, like on a beach or a park or a reserve or something, and it's got some fairly identifiable engraving on the ring, or the ring itself is pretty unique. I'll reach out to, to community Facebook groups, and um, you know, has anyone lost the ring and it has a unique inscription on it? And uh, you, you always get a few people back that are trying it on, saying it's theirs. But if they can sort of prove. And, you know what, what's on that ring then absolutely can get the ring back to them and they are so pleased a lot of the time uh, they're just doing cartwheels and, and appreciation for what you've actually done for them it's an incredible experience it's really quite humbling yes i mean that sentiment involved with uh, you know a piece of gold or silver you know it's usually given with with love uh, and so to lose it can be really devastating so i'm not not surprised uh, about the emotion around uh, the return, and uh, I'm just reading on some stories here in New Zealand also, it can be years since a ring was lost and then is found. Absolutely, yeah, it happens all the time. And, and these people have given up all, all hope of, of ever getting it back. And, and even last week I got an interesting request to uh, shoot over to the wire wrapper from, from Wellington here. Uh, a farmer was feeding his calves and one of the calves sucked his gold wedding ring off his finger and he wanted to know if I could come over and scan the calf to see if the ring was inside him and then go back a few days later to, uh, to scan the excrement in the field to see if it was uh, in any of those little deposits there. So it's all, all walks of life and all sorts of people that actually lose these things. Um, I haven't actually managed to get that one back yet, but it's on my uh, on my to-do list. Um, <laughs> there's, this, there's quite an active uh, ring finder community in New Zealand where there's people all over the country uh, that you approach to find lost rings. Yes, I saw and, someone had um, set up a company in Auckland, actually, when I was doing some research. Yes, yep, yeah, no, it's quite common, and um, most of them just like braid on it. You know, there's no payment changes hands. It's just a, just a service that the, the detectorists provide to the community, and, and people quite often are so appreciative. They'll, they'll certainly uh, give you a monetary award or, or buy you a couple of nice bottles of wine or something like that. So, uh, And it happens all the time, especially with people doing gardening. It's incredible how many rings get lost in gardens. I was reading um, various people's, I was going to say hoards, that makes it sound perhaps a little bit dramatic, but certainly they can get some good numbers of coins. And I saw that came across this, the phrase spendies. Is that current currency? <laughs> yeah, it is. So uh, 
Yeah, the hoard's generally, uh, uh, you know, UK term used for when somebody finds a whole bunch of Roman coins. And we, we certainly get coin spills here. It's not uncommon to find, you know, 10, 20, even 30, 40, one, two cent pieces in one spot. And, um, you know, back 40, 50 years ago, it's quite common to carry all these coins in your pocket. And they're quite exciting when you find these coin spills. But the term spending is, yeah, it, it's, a, it's whatever the current denomination is that's, that's legal tender that you can spend right then and there. And it, it depends. New Zealand currency is a funny one because the $1 and $2 coins last extremely well on the beaches, uh, in the dirt. They come out like brand new, but the, the latest crop of 10 and 20, 50 cent pieces, uh, they basically disintegrate so fast. They're completely gone within a month or two. Oh, my goodness. What about um, the outlay for the gear? How much can you spend? It's it's one of those things where you really need to spend a few bucks to get to get good gear. So initially, a metal detector uh, can set you back anywhere between sort of five hundred to two thousand dollars. Obviously, the more you spend, the better the detector. But it's just getting out there and doing it, uh, basically. And, and and the fines will come to you. Uh, you also need what's called a pinpointer, which is basically a little a mini detector, as such. So when you find a target in the ground and pull it out, you use this pinpointer just to narrow down where the target actually is and uh you know just just pop it out and basically that's all there is to it and it's a fantastic hobby because it's not limited by weather you can go out in the rain if you've got a waterproof detector which most of them are the wind doesn't matter you can go out at night i'm, I'm quite often down the beach at night with one looking like a real dork um you know going beep beep looking for coins in the sand but uh it's really enjoyable it's i find it quite therapeutic almost i was just trying to imagine what it's like holding a detector when you come across, as you say, something like 20, 30 coins. Does it, does it go crazy and does your heart start to race? Oh, absolutely. It's like, it's super exciting. Like I said, there's a lot of similarities to fishing for me and being a long time fly fisherman, um, about 35 years, I, I find it really similar. Um, it's the whole surprise and delight. You, you never know what you're going to get. You never know what's what the next signal is going to be. The detectors basically have a range of numbers, so you can tell what it is that you're going to dig a lot of the time, like silver coins will have a certain number range, and, and they get me really excited when I see uh, you know, a number for about 25 to 30 pop up in my detector, because that's silver coins, um, you know, $1 coins, are every time they're 22 is the signal, and $2 coins, every time they're 21, gold can range anywhere between... Um, sort of zero and 21. So you just have to basically dig everything, which is good because it removes all the trash out of the ground at the same time. But it can get a bit tedious when there's a lot of bottle caps and, and ring pulls around, which are the, the bane of the metal detectorists. Oh, there'd be a few of those too. What's your what's your most treasured coin find? Um, I've had a couple. I've had the 1797, what they call a cartwheel penny, which is a massive coin um, that was a few months back from basically in my backyard up Mount Victoria. Um, so that's a really old coin. It's barely distinguishable. And prior to that, I had an 1849 penny, which was a very, very rare penny, which was in excellent condition um, for being found on a beach, um, which I sold to a, a collector. I think it was about $180, I think I got for it at the end. I, I don't tend to hang on to too many things. I like to sort of sell them to get a bit of money to upgrade new gear and um seeing what people pay for them and, and just the questions that get generated from it. An area that I didn't expect to be contentious when I was reading through was on cleaning. So I remember I saw somebody who had um, a collection of coins and they were asking for, relatively new to this, and they were asking for um, advice on how to, to clean things like coins. And I saw such a range, you know, from a certain fizzy drink 
uh, through to lemon juice and water and vinegar and somebody else saying, for heaven's sake, don't clean the coins at all. Just don't. What's your view on this, coins being something you particularly enjoy? Oh, look, it's a really contentious subject. And I'm a coin cleaner. Like when I get them, I can't help myself but to clean them. But coin collectors, it's an absolute no-no. You know, they want them untouched. They want them with the the patina on the copper coins, which is the green oxidization on the the surface of the coin. But silver coins, I I certainly clean up uh, very carefully with with some jewellery acid and then a brass brush dremel so as to not damage them. And they basically, uh, when New Zealand coins are 50% silver um, from about 19... 49 prior so they come up just absolutely beautiful but uh, you know if you intend to sell any of your coins then then cleaning's a no-go but i I can't help it i'm a coin cleaner i don't like dirty coins (laughs) do you have any mates though that do tend to hold on to their fines because it could become a hoarding situation right yeah like most most people tend to to have collections and i'm not really a hoarder i tend to sell most of the stuff I, i find to collectors and like I said, there's not many hobbies that pay for themselves, but this is certainly one of them, you know, for anyone getting into the hobby. Uh, you know, it might seem like a fairly large initial outlay, but you've got to remember that, you know, if, if you get into this, and you can just go out for half an hour to an hour if you want. And, and you know, every week uh, with spendies, I find, um, you know, it pays for a, a few coffees and a couple of lunches and 20 cent, 50 cent pieces from, from the 80s, which I'll take to the Reserve Bank every year, um, you know, and there's several hundred dollars get cashed in there. And then there's the scrap metal as well, which is the copper and the brass and um, lead especially. Lead, lead's like the new gold. Uh, and if you just go and detect on a beach, it's incredible how much lead you'll find. Uh, just kilos and kilos of it every time you visit. Well, that's a bit depressing too, because it shouldn't be there. Yes, it is. But it's good to get it out of the environment. You know, it's really humbling to get led out of the ocean uh, and there's just so much of it. It's phenomenal. I mean, I came across you on a Facebook page, you know, dedicated to metal detecting. Uh, and I was actually really heartened by the number of um, women also who were posting photographs of their finds on there. Oh, absolutely. It's a, it's a huge, huge growing hobby and uh, a massive uptake by women. Um, I'm not quite sure what drives it, but it's, uh, you know, who doesn't love shiny things and, and pulling them out of the dirt? But yeah, you know, it's it's huge, and a lot of good friends of mine that detect are females, and they're they're fantastic to go out with as well, and uh, you know pull rings out of the ground with, and, and old coins, and uh, the, the camaraderie is great. Um, it's a really fun hobby to do with other people as well. I saw a little survey on on one of the um, forums saying, do you prefer uh, beach de- de- detecting on a beach or detecting on land? Do you have a preference? Yeah, like I'm sort of half and half. I actually really like the the doing beaches in summertime, putting a pair of some jandals and, and, and just going around the beaches. And obviously, you, you've got to stay away from people. They, people sort of look at you sideways. But I, I really enjoy beaches. But most of the, the good finds I've had have come from bush detecting, which which I love. It's incredibly hard work because it's, especially in Wellington where I live here, because it's extremely steep. In the bush, you're quite often on your hands and knees. You know, there, there's thorns and, and all sorts of nasty stuff to, to catch you. But I would say probably the bush detecting is my favourite for sure. Really enjoy it. Dirt fishing doesn't sound quite as as alluring no. as detectoring. No, not not quite as glamorous, but it kind of sums it up. Uh, you know, I think if anyone's been fishing before and then realised that the fun that comes from fishing and, and the exploration and the surprise and delight, they'll absolutely love metal detecting. Uh, it's extremely addictive and, and more so than fishing. I, I, 
I put several friends onto it um, over the years, and, and they're just absolutely hooked. They basically spend every single minute of their day metal detecting now. So I'm sure it's been responsible for a few marriage breakups as well. <laughs> Where are you off to this weekend? Or does it I'm say a secret? Sure. Do you share? I mean, do you share science? You said before about the collegiality. So I'm, I'm sure a lot of the time you do go out with people, but there must be a little bit of rivalry too. Oh, there is. It's, it's a bit like fishing spots again. You don't share until you've been there yourself, basically. Uh, I'm more than happy to give away locations, but I want to go there first because, uh, you know, whilst it's a really nice thing to do with some other people, it's actually good to get all the treasure for yourself. And if it's a good spot and I've been a couple of times, then I'm more than happy to share with other people. And, and it's really funny because quite often you'll find more the second and third time you revisit some sites because you never get everything. You, you never do. So you might just walk a different path or do a, a you know, swing a different uh, track through the bush and, Interesting going back time and time again to find new stuff in areas you've been previously. But as a rule, most detectorists are a fairly secretive bunch, that's for sure. Metal detectorist Andrew Harding.